Hi, everyone. Welcome back to MIT Is, the podcast. We are your hosts, Abi Moto and Gabe Owens. Last month, we talked a lot about our time transitioning into MIT um, and some challenges that we've been experiencing on campus. And today, we're here to talk a little bit more about student life, especially during the pandemic and um, some of our experiences that we've had throughout MIT um, now that we can sort of look back on our time here. Um, so, Gabe, how are you doing? Um... I'm all right. Uh, this is sort of the part of the semester where everything blends together and it's some amorphous, after the first midterm, it's an amorphous blob of midterms and assignments due in this like disgusting melted combination of things piled on each other um, until finals and then, and then you move on. So we're sort of in that middle part um, and I don't know like what day it is, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. How are you? It's kind of an awful time right now. Like the, I mean, the academics are always hard, I would say. Um, but there's just been a lot going on in the world that has been extremely stressful. So if you're anywhere on social media, you probably heard about the NSARS movement. Um, and that's going on in Nigeria, where my whole family is. Um, so it's it's almost like the summer all over again with the Black Lives Matter protests. And right now it's a lot of concern about, you know, what's going to happen with my own family in Nigeria. Um, so I think it's just been, like I've been pushing back assignments and it's just been a really difficult time to get through. So yeah, it's it just shows that like when you're at MIT, it's not even just about the academics, it's about, everything that happens in your life um which could just come together in a really frustrating <laughs> manner so, yeah. yeah um as i like to say everything happens all the time mm -hmm. it, yeah. it just truly does um i'm so yeah. sorry to to hear about that but it's always a good thing and always nice to hear when um people anywhere in the world are resisting um some form of oppression and it's it's become obvious um that police and state repression um just never gone away and in fact uh the same sort of forces we're facing now as a world have been around for a while yeah um so it's it's glad to see it's always nice to see that like the the generational shift but it's also very painful at the same time um, yeah. Do you mind me asking what part of Nigeria your family is from? Yeah, so we're all from the southeastern region. Um, my my family's from a state called Enugu, so nothing, not too much has been happening there. But um, you know, this past week, you may have heard of the Lekki Gate, the Lekki Toll Gate massacre, um, and that was literally where protesters were sitting around protesting peacefully, waving their flags, singing the national anthem, sitting on the ground. And the police before the protest called a, like a very, um, like it was like very short notice, they called a curfew. Um, mm -hmm. And before the protest um, happened, they removed closed circuit TV from, you know, the area protesters were protesting in and it was like around the time of the curfew, they turned off the lights, which are never off in that location. And the military came in and started shooting into the crowd. 
Um, and like ambulances were trying to come in and like the army would not let them go through. Um, so I, it's like, it's just, it was, I was just crying when I heard it. Um, yeah, cause it's just like, Yeah, so, that's, and, and like what, why, are, why is this happening? Um, what are these governments supposed to be doing if not protecting yeah. this very thing from happening? Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, yeah. <sighs> so incredibly frustrating. And it's, I think it's frustrating because like the protesters are protesting the police themselves um and it's not even like it's not even anything so shocking it's like they're protesting harassment that they constantly face and it's like i was talking mm -hmm. to my cousin and he was telling me like yeah if like you walk by with like a nice outfit or a nice phone like you're automatically a target of harassment they'll extort money from you they will you know in some cases like young people have been killed, um, there's been sexual violence, and it's like, you know, it's like you just ask for like the basic things just to like be left alone, and then it's like the army, which is meant to protect its citizens, comes in and, you know, assaults yeah. its own citizens. So it's like, I think, you know, here in America, there is a part of me that has almost become numb to a lot of like police brutality and um, you know, I read it away, I, you know, study it away, I, you know, do the things that I can. Intellectualize it away. Exactly. And then it, I don't know, I think then when your family is like really in jeopardy, it, I don't know, it just, it bothers you to a different degree. So yeah, it's yeah. been, it's been a tough week. It's been a really tough week. Yeah. Um, uh, I hope that I hope that these these things result in in positive change, though. It's just absurd. Um, the interests that the state protects should be the people, mm -hmm. not something else. Um, yeah. That's that's like a super basic thing to ask for. Mm -hmm. And still around the world, we see that this is constantly not the case that that when when we see like things like the police um, in an area shooting at people, Mm -hmm. um, instead of asking them what they need or making sure that people are like have a place to sleep um, instead mm -hmm. we see homeless sweeps and and all these things it's it's clear that that their interests lie somewhere else yeah um, their job is not to protect people their job is to advance and maintain property rights and, mm -hmm. and all of these things and that comes in the form of terrorizing people sometimes mm -hmm. um, not you know making sure they don't they don't get to walk home with that nice belt that they just got instead, yeah. you know? Yeah, and it's like, I, I'm really proud of Nigeria because the first time I went was when I was seven. And I mean, it wasn't nearly as bad. The economy wasn't doing so terribly. Um, so things like this were kind of normal. Like, you know, you drove past, um, you know, police checkpoint and you knew to like give them some money. Like that was just right. Normal. Yep, yep. Um, and I think, you know, it, it, it probably stems from what's going on in the United States. Um, like, you know, I, I think people have sort of stood up and said, like, enough is enough. Um, so it's 
this probably would not have happened a while ago. Um, and I feel like, you know, Nigerians are really standing up, not just against police brutality, but like about against like bad governance in general. Um, so I, I just hope something comes from it. Um, I, there's a lot of hopelessness, but I, I do have some hope that, um, you know, this will be the start of something really good. Yeah, absolutely. I want to echo the things that you said about visiting um, and the relationship with the police. Um, I, uh, I'm half Mexican, so I've gone there, like, a, I used to go there fairly often. Um, and I think we largely avoided the police because of the same reasons. Mm -hmm. um, one of the last times I was there, uh, my mom was driving a car and we turned, um, we were in like the, like a left, rightmost lane and then turned out of it. And then a traffic police like immediately came over and pulled us over. They were like, that's the bus lane. You have to, we're going to impound your car now. Um, yeah. Like, you know, like hand on their <laughs> hip and shit. Mm -hmm. um, and they're like, yeah, we're going to impound your car. You have to step out. Uh, and then I started like looking up the law because I was like, this, this po cannot possibly be correct. Mm -hmm. um, and then she like saw me with my with my phone and she took it away and was like threatening to point her gun at me and then it, it's just like yeah. a lot of nonsense went down before we had to just give them money mm -hmm. and like move on yeah uh and i just was like no that that's not what we're gonna do but but truly at some point like you can't resist that individually mm. there need to be collective movements yeah and it's it's it, it's like a bigger issue because like you look at why like states like this where the police do take advantage of its citizens and you, you can look at a lot of you know there's a lot of common traits there's lack of economic resources there's you know lack of educational access there's lack of health care and it's you know not even i'm not trying to you know sympathize with the police but it's like you know it, it's a broad it's a broader issue um you know, yeah. there are larger, excuse me, I'm just like, sorry, there's like larger issues at hand here. Um, so I, I completely think, agree. Yeah. So this, this NSARS movement, um, it's like really painful to watch, but like, once again, it, it does give me some, you know, iota of hope that something will change. Yeah. And that, that at least people are listening, right? Like they, they saw what happened in the U.S. and, um, and I, I hope like that gave some inspiration um, yeah. and solidarity uh, and also just like uh, going along the, the idea that these things are, are very deeply rooted. It, it is um, mm -hmm. super deeply rooted. I think even in the, the form of governance that these, these countries have, mm -hmm. have um, formed and continue to propagate like the federal government of Nigeria Mm -hmm. and U.S. are are super similar. There's like yeah. three branches. Mm -hmm. um, it's heavily stratified. There's a lot of, there's a wage gap. Um, it's growing really quickly technologically, but at mm -hmm. the expense of, I mean, like literally the exact same issues that we see in Mexico and the U.S. and essentially anywhere else a neoliberal government is allowed to form and flourish unchecked um, with a police force that that you know protects its interests yeah anyway <laughs> that i think i think we've we've talked about that enough <laughs> we talk um, about this so much <laughs> it, it really is just like the central theme of this <laughs> but but i guess to to transition it a little bit there's 
we talk about like the the what what the police like mean to do and like what they should be doing um sort of their intent the the perceived intent of these organizations um versus their effect mm -hmm. uh, and intent i guess here um is to say like what these organizations communicate about themselves what they say that they're doing mm -hmm. versus the effect that they have um on the people that are in them and the people around them uh this is i think a good transition into our second topic which is greek life um mm -hmm. and how these organizations um, often do intend good things and are designed with with a specific sort of empowering focus but um, end up having a unforeseen effect mm -hmm. um, as a result of their design. Mm -hmm. uh, before we start talking about this anymore, though, I guess I want to say that we're not going to mention the organizations that we are a part of, um, because this isn't supposed to be a call out piece. This is just talking about the nature of Greek life um, mm -hmm. from two very different perspectives. Yeah. Do you, would you like to start by sharing your yeah. background with this? Yeah, so it was interesting because when I was a pre-frosh, so before I entered my freshman year, I never thought I would enter Greek life. I, you know, I had the stereotypical image of it. I even went to CPW and I was like, oh, this is not for me. Um, and it was interesting because, you know, MIT has probably the largest Greek presence in the Boston area. Like we have a ton of sororities and fraternities. Um, and I at first didn't see myself in any of those, but I was exposed to Black Greek letter organizations um, in my pre-frosh time. And those were the things I was like more interested in. So, you know, for those who are listening who don't know, there are nine historically Black uh, Greek organizations. Um, and I heard about them and I was like, oh, this seems really cool. The people in it were really cool. I went to the events. Um, I was super interested and I was like, okay, um, this seems like the thing for me. So I did join and um, in that I was really looking for sisterhood. I was looking for, you know, an additional support system. MIT is so hard. And, um, you know, I always had this overwhelming feeling that MIT was such a short part of my life, just four years. And I wanted something that I could carry into the rest of my life and connections I could have. Um, afterwards. So, you know, that's just the general spiel of why I joined Greek Life, um, how I approached it before and how, um, when, what, like when I was in it, I did enjoy it. Um, and it was, you know, good for a lot of, you know, for most of the part. Um, so that's sort of why I joined. So if you want to sort of go into why you decided to join Greek Life and how you initially approached it. Um, yeah, I have a similar um experience prior to mit um i i didn't consume a ton of like collegiate content i feel like there's a lot of like fraternity movies and all of these things mm -hmm. that i like really never connected to um my dad dropped out of school so i didn't have a connection through him or or any of my like male role models um that indicated that fraternities were anything interesting um but when i got to mit um we have mit has such an enormous rush process uh, and it's so fast and blinding mm 
mm -hmm. um, that it, it sort of erases any of the other elements of fraternal existence, but just points at the shiniest, biggest things. They, everyone cleans their houses. Um, <laughs> uh, and so when we say like their houses, these are actual enormous pseudo dorms that exist just marginally outside of the dorm community um, and function as dorms. But uh, yeah, so I, so I joined um, pretty early. They, the rush process overlaps with the first week of school, I think. I'm not sure if it's, I think it starts in like the middle and then continues into the weekend. Um, and you have like a week essentially to meet uh, close to 30 groups of people. And then they spend like between $10,000 and $30,000 worth of, they just spend that much to, like to convince you that they are, have the best, biggest organization or the one for you. Not necessarily best or biggest, but the one for you. Mm -hmm. um, and then they invite you to join this organization for life. Uh, <laughs> and the reason I'm talking about it like this dramatically is because this is actually how it goes down. Um, I personally think uh, having been a part of an organization for up until now, I guess, like three, four years, three years. Um, and growing more distant from it recently, I think that it should definitely not be the first semester. Um, yeah. The rush should definitely not be the first semester. Um, that it should be the second or, or third semester, ideally the third semester. Um, and th this, is, this is me coming from like my most sympathetic reform standpoint. Because mm -hmm. fraternities have a lot, fraternities and sororities have a lot going on. They do. Um, the reinforcement of like necessarily or inherently oppressive ideas like gender happens a lot. Yeah. Um, so barring all of those things uh, and just all else equal, when rush should happen, I think it should not happen at the very beginning because I didn't feel like I got a good look at a lot of the organizations. Mm -hmm. um, you're very like rushed into something, um, which is why it's called rush, I guess. Uh, <laughs> And oftentimes it, these organizations supplant other potential social networks. So for example, there are some dorms that don't have a ton of, um, don't have a ton of draw to them other than they are like pretty and, and um, have food in them. <laughs> They're just buildings and they don't have any like extant uh, culture. Mm -hmm. or or anything built into them uh in terms of a social network um have we explained that mit dorms have dorm culture i feel like we've mentioned it yeah. we, don't, well, we don't talk about it enough though yeah mit dorms have dorm culture it's one of the most bizarre anthropological phenomena ever mm -hmm. that when you put a whole bunch of like random children you don't know that don't know each other together they'll like start the whole thing yeah start traditions um <laughs> anyway uh a lot of these organiz a lot of these dorms don't have that and so what happens is a student will go into the this dorm see that it's sort of like kind of bland and like he, no one introduces him no one like embraces them and they just sort of feel like kind of lost to the wood i remember like going into Baker, which is my, which was my freshman dorm. Mm -hmm. And just wandering around the near empty halls and being like, this is depressing. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know how I'm going to make it through. Uh, and then in steps a fraternity or a sorority and they're like, hey, look, we have a house and we have parties and food and all of these things and it's cheaper. And then you're like, oh, wow, cool. And then they're like, hey, we'll also talk to your parents about this. So they'll be cool with it. And you're like, this is amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, how was how was your rush process? Because mine was a lot. Yeah. So so something I um I'd like to mention. So I'm in a black Greek letter organization. Um that's different from the MIT ones. So sure. like um, you know, the black Greek letter ones, they sort of operate separately. They have citywide chapters that involve multiple schools. Um, and even just like our social events and our, our initiation process is completely different. Um, so MIT sororities, they have their own rush process, um, which is like sort of what Gabe talked about, but it's 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 not as liberal, as I would say, as like um, the fraternities, like it's a lot more structured. You have to like meet the members of each sorority, talk to them over the course of many days, and then they have like a bidding process. Um, so um, my, initiation, my initiation process was different. Uh, the sorority doesn't actually allow you to talk about that publicly, <laughs> so I can't, I, I can't, I can't talk about that too much. But um, yeah, it it started off with me just getting to know the people in the chapter, um, and then, you know, going through the application process, and then um, uh, receiving an invitation into the sorority itself. Another thing I'd like to mention: a lot of people live in these fraternities or sororities as opposed to um, living in a dorm. So it just sort of shows how huge that is um, at MIT. Um, so I think something that we should definitely talk about is like the form of support we found in, um, you know, our organizations or lack of support. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, whether you would make the same decision going back in time. I've been thinking about this more recently. Like I um, don't, like um framing things in terms of what uh i would have done i think mm -hmm. um i think that it was a immensely educational experience for me mm -hmm. um partly because of the partly because of the ways that i received support and and also the ways that i like specifically didn't receive support and realized that i needed that kind of help yeah or or environment um so yeah, our, our experiences are necessarily different. I joined a non, like a, like just a white fraternity. Mm -hmm. And I say white because it, it doesn't have any sort of like uh, racial or ethnic distinctions. Mm -hmm. And so white people tend to join it on average more. Um, yeah. yeah. And when I got there, there were like a few, a few more people of color than when I left. Um, and I felt I felt that I was closest to to those people. Um, I come from a very uh, like I'm from LA and in a in a part that was like very mixed, um, and so I feel most comfortable in in a group that's not not primarily white, but also not. Um, that isn't to say that I like because I myself am half white. It's not it's not the um, it's not the skin tone or or anything. It's it's the the construct of whiteness mm -hmm. um, that is different and and I think um, sometimes reinforced in in fraternities. Uh, mm -hmm. And I can explain that a little further. I think it's the the construction of one's identity outside of 
some of of the the outside of the identities of students of color mm -hmm. um and and this was constructed even even by by other students of color um in in things like really being pro-american flag mm -hmm. or really being pro-america or really being pro some element of the american industrial complex yeah um and you are allowed to do that um but in my own home environment when i'm trying to discuss like the these sorts of issues um and i have to constantly argue against people who disagree with me on fundamental issues um i feel that i wasn't supported in that way mm. uh and that when while I, I appreciate those conversations and love to have them i want a home base that is that that um i want like a little bit of an echo chamber yeah. you know just like a tiny bit so i can i can feel that i'm not wrong all the time mm. and i don't always have to like prove to myself that i like belong in a space or deserve to be there mm. um like i had to to talk to someone about whether or not affirmative action um is necessary this is within the fraternity within my fraternity mm. and and while i again i would love to have that conversation with anyone um you didn't need it there. I, I just didn't need it there. And mm -hmm. I didn't need it for two hours. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like a couple feet away from where I sleep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah and, so, and, and that's, and that's totally fine. Like I, I don't like, I am a, I'm a fairly combative person, I think in, mm -hmm. in these situations. And I was tired of combat. Um, I was, I started to become known as like the angry leftist. Uh, <laughs> and, and that again, like there, there are, cultural differences everywhere you see mm -hmm. and it's important to work through those and find some like common connection and i i do i have a lot of a, a lot of like very warm memories with people in mm -hmm. this group um but i you know it, it's also okay to not have to have those it's not it's also okay to not want to live in a combative environment or a place that like drives anxiety yeah. or where you have to discuss all these things all the time yeah yeah and i think that it ties why it ties back to why i decided to join a black organization um i i think coming to mit shows you how unprepared you are at times for challenging things of the world <laughs> like yeah. you don't know how bad your imposter syndrome is until you're in a place like mit or you know like you don't know a lot of your insecurities until you're really just like challenged in every aspect of your life and they just sort of come to the surface so i needed like black women in particular um who were going to just be really close to me and help me through those things and i think my struggle was that i didn't necessarily feel like i received that support um and i I was just, I was also just like, I was just looking for help, I think. And I, I felt like at times at MIT when I was really struggling, I didn't receive it as much as I would like to. Um, and, you know, there's an aspect of like, you know, because I was one of the only people from MIT in my chapter. So, you know, like, mm -hmm. did people know how to help me? I think that was the question. And I think, you know, when you're approaching a Greek organization, you always have to remember that you know, they may culturally be like you, they may, you know, have the same values as you, but they won't necessarily provide the support that you need in your life. 
I think that's, that's a lesson that I learned. And I think if I was to go back in time, I would look for that a little bit more. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Building community is so difficult. Um, especially when, uh, and, and again, this is, this, this kind of, everything goes back to something else we talked about, but this, this reflects, um, concerns about the rush process and how these organizations are formed. Mm. Um, it is tremendously difficult to form an organization and form it well and appropriately and have, and have it deal with the nuances of, of its constituent members, um, mm. from a week long process yeah. where you, you get kids coming in from literally everywhere around the country and the world. And then you base whether or not you want to live with them for the next four years and also communicate with them for the rest of your life off of a couple base interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, that's a really over romanticized um, inappropriate way to judge relationships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's rough. Yeah. And something you said earlier um, really resonated with me about like talking about whether you would have went back in time. Um, And I realized that, you know, sort of walking away from Greek life was what I needed to really find the friends and the support systems that I needed at MIT. Um, And I think now I'm a senior, I kind of look back and I wish that I had focus my energy on different relationships a little more, but I would have never known that if it wasn't for like, you know, walking into something and not finding the support I needed. And, you know, the national organization is great. Um, They do amazing work. They're really fantastic. And I will always respect that. Um, But like, you know, it's just a life lesson to really search and find the help that you need and actually go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree completely. I think that I, I will still hold love for all of the people that I lived with. Um, mm. Because we're all, we're all humans. We're all trying to, uh, even, even the people that I disagreed with the absolute most who held antithetical political and humanitarian views from my own, um, they were trying to apply their worldview in a way that they thought would best improve the world and, and improve their own role in in making sure that we're all better off um i think they were super wrong about the way that they went about it but i you know you have to you have to deal with reality on reality's terms in summation of what we talked about so far i want to also be explicit that i i don't think and i don't know if this reflects how you feel but i don't feel that there are good or bad people um Mm -hmm. in this world i think that that's um, very reductionist, um, very reductive. And I tend to not view the world that way. I think there are, that everyone has capacity for um, what one might consider good and bad. And it is the situations and the systems in which we find ourselves that guide our individual actions. Um, And so I think that a lot of, that means a lot of people could do really good things and really bad things in the same period of time with the same, within the same organization. Like I know that I had um, some of the most fun 
I've had at MIT with these people, but I also had horrible times and have, have witnessed like pretty awful things within the same organization with the same people in the same house. Yeah. And there was, there's something that you said, Gabe, that was like rerunning in my head. <laughs> you said it last episode and we were talking about wokeness and you're like, okay, being woke is not remembering everything from your Haas class. It's your ability to think critically. Um, and I, I thought about that a lot because it's, it's like when you realize, when you kind of like walk around this world and you go to a place like MIT that really opens your mind up to a lot of things and you have to sort of interact with the world differently, you realize that people just have very different models to approaching the world. Like if, if you know anything about machine learning, like you put in a bunch of data, it creates, you have an algorithm that creates a model. The model is supposed to be used on new data. And when you really think about it, the people in this world just have different models than you do. Um, some aren't created as well. Some are, you know, created with a lot of data. Some are, you know, some have a good algorithm, some don't. Um, but it comes back to this thing. It's like people aren't bad per se. They just have different experiences that shape their thinking in a very different way than you. Um, yeah, and, and mm -hmm. go ahead, sorry. And they, and they act on it and it may hurt you <laughs> um, exactly. and it may, it may not work and it may not be what you need to receive the help or love that you need. Um, but you, you, you just think about it and you're like, okay, I can't blame you for this because this is, this is how you think things should work. Yeah, and there's there's the there are the ideas of like radical empathy or mm -hmm. sympathy, um, radical acceptance, and these things are all extremely difficult to do. Um, yeah. Finding acceptance and loving someone who has hurt you is is feels impossible. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes you don't have the time or patience for it, and that's okay. You don't need to do this all the time. Yeah. Um, but also finding those those times and spaces where that is possible. Um, are that can can really like reframe and uh, the way that you look at the world and, and really make it more beautiful all of these people are trying their best um or they're not um and sometimes they're they're really damaging people but even even when those things happen when these painful things happen to yourself or other people um and you understand it not as malice against you um from a bad person that someone, yeah, it's just that the things, everything happens all the time, but things, things can, can happen and that doesn't reflect, doesn't need to reflect the person. It can reflect mm -hmm. their environment. Um, yeah. And I think that's all, that's very helpful for feeling our way through the world. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I also mentioned like the idea of, of whiteness earlier. Um, and I know that that probably triggers in some people like a negative reaction to what you might see as identity politics. Um, and I wanna let that imaginary person know that um, we're not relying on the, the crutch of identity, but rather like looking at the world critically mm -hmm. and, and relying on a framework that is very legitimate has been thought through a lot by a lot of very important um, thinkers and feminists. And, mm -hmm. and it's the idea that none of these things are real, like race isn't real, gender isn't real beyond the meaning that we have assigned to it 
um, mm-hmm. in, through through our like collective means, our our collective knowledge through our mm-hmm. through like capitalist systems. Um, and so when I talk about whiteness, it's not just white people. It's the that construct of whiteness that exists outside of other races and as its own amorphous blob of culture mm-hmm. that um, I myself was, I guess, not accustomed to in the exact formulation that it has in MIT fraternities. Yeah, that's an, I understand that. So, you know, taking this sort of framework about how people are um, and, you know, the decisions that they make and how that affects you, um, how do you sort of think of your time at MIT? You know, do you feel like, you know, at MIT you've been affected by not bad people, but like people who just don't know better? Or, you know, how have you, how has MIT shaped that thinking? Um, And how do you like sort of reflect on your time at MIT? Mm, Something you said earlier, I think um, helps me think about this. It's the the three things that I, I synthesized from, I guess, what you were saying when you were looking for uh, a Greek organization is like a support system, mm-hmm. um, sisterhood, and something that la- lasted longer than, than, um, than MIT uh, or the four years. Um, I think that I have, I, I, so I've since sort of like distanced myself from my fraternity I left alongside one of my friends um, to live in East Campus, which is another dorm um, with a very strong culture. Um, And there, I think I did find a support system. I found some some semblance of family um, and something that lasts longer than MIT. But in doing so, I've also realized that that I I maybe didn't need maybe you didn't need to find anything, but just learn how to find these things. Yeah. Because um, I'm going to move around a lot. Um, we all are. Uh, mm-hmm. And even if you did stay in the same place, that place doesn't stay the same. The people around there move. Mm-hmm. You know, people, um, people are born, people die. Mm-hmm. Um, the world changes. Uh, and and it, while it's important to find static groups of people that you are going to like rock with or ride with for the rest of your life or a, a long amount of time, mm-hmm. it's also the ability to to find those people um, in the future, what to look for and how to interact with people um, and how to, how, again, how to think about the world critically. Yeah. Um, how to identify relationships, how to make sure that they don't, because I'd like, like still even now like we're all horrible at at relationships horrible at dealing with with people's emotions these things are incredibly complicated and some of the smartest people in the world here are the worst at it yeah um so yeah sorry that was a long answer but basically just learning how to find the things that i was looking for yeah i i really love that answer i love that a lot um because it's been the same thing for me. And like, I, if, you know, if you're interested, if you're listening to this and you're interested in coming to MIT, I want you to understand that the most important lessons that I've learned and maybe you have learned too, Gabe, is the life skills, like how to find friends, how to be supported, when to reach out to help for help, what sort of help I need. Um, and then, you know, the, 
like I'm a physics major and the most important lessons I've learned have not been related to physics. They've been related to thinking about the world, approaching problems, understanding things like race, like, you know, not just blackness, but understanding like how blackness interacts with whiteness and other races, how gender is a factor in so many things, how to look at the world through different lenses. And um, I don't know, I, I, I just, I think that's the thing that MIT does to you, um, which I'm really thankful for. And, you know, I, I'll criticize the Institute for a lot of things that um, it does. But, you know, when people say like the, the people at MIT are the best thing, it's not even just like you're meeting cool people that are doing a bunch of different things. It, it's like you're learning life skills um, that are really important for the rest of your time. Um, and they really frame the way you think about the world. Yeah. Conversely, people who go through MIT and, and don't pick that up, mm -hmm. um, they do. We all we all pick up also like technical skills and engineering yeah. skills and whatever. Um, but I, I just I hope that all of those all of the people that feel that they've gone through MIT or gone through their lives not not picking up on on the soft skills the the way that you talk to people and communicating um, just it's never too late to learn those things. Yeah. Um, and, and it's okay to feel that you don't know how to do those things, but what is not okay is just giving up on that. You cannot yeah. do that. You cannot avoid talking to people. Um, I'm sorry, that is not an option. <laughs> what did you say last time? You're like, if you're racist, just think critically. And, <laughs> yeah, just... and if you're still racist, come talk to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. I, and, and like learning, learning about all of these like important constructs like gender and race um, through our conversations and, and analysis in those conversations um, mm -hmm. is very useful. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think I want to say that it's very useful in the way that um, that we are rethinking about how these things should exist. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of these constructs are rooted in, in very dangerous, very oppressive ideas. Um, the, the idea of like othering something, mm -hmm. um, as a, as a way to, to mediate the dehumanization that is required mm -hmm. for, for things like labor exploitation or exploitation of some sort, mm -hmm. um, these constructs mean a lot and, and you learn a lot um, talking to people and, and, and thinking about them. Mm -hmm. um, and I just hope that everyone thinks long and hard about all of these things um, yeah. and not just joke about them. Mm -hmm. We joke about a lot of these, a lot of these things, but, uh, but someday they're all going to have to change. They're all going to come down in some sort or another. And we will have learned a lot about the idea of blackness and whiteness and gender. And um, we're going to be able to like pick and choose what, what aspects of these things we want to move forward and leave behind. Mm -hmm. uh, in the same way that, that when I, when, when, we, when we joined a, like a Greek life, mm -hmm. um, when you joined your sorority and I joined my fraternity, we learned a lot about these constructs um, and then left them. Mm. But but that doesn't mean we learn nothing from them or got nothing just because I no longer want to be part of an organization mm -hmm. that is all male because I disagree with that premise. I I now know what 
what masculinity can look like yeah. um, to not to overuse the term but like what toxic masculinity can look like what healthy masculinity could look like mm-hmm. um what happens when that's challenged yeah so yeah i i, I guess to <laughs> conclude i i'm glad that i joined this but um think think long and hard before you do yeah don't 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 take this as like oh i could just join and i'll learn something from no (laughs) you should really think about the people um and you know when i was a freshman at mit i don't think i had the capacity to think critically in social settings like this like i i i couldn't have looked at a sorority and really thought about what it meant for my life and my identity and such like i don't think I was ready for that, but I'm ready for that now. Um, And it's like, I'm so much more selective about the opportunities I go for and like who I am as a person, even like the jobs I take. Um, And there's, there's an element of privilege in that. Like I can, I can do that, but it is something I needed to do. And it's a, it's a tough experience that I had to go through, but I'm happy I did because like I'm never going to just approach an organization the same way, um, so I'm I'm happy. Um, I don't regret anything, and uh, that's yeah. Cool. <laughs> I guess some advice. Some advice if you're still interested um, mm-hmm. in these kinds of organizations, like the Four Life organizations that um, tend to be gendered. Um, spend time like outside of them before you join them. MIT doesn't really let you do that. Other other colleges do, but even then, um, it's just a longer period of of posturing um, mm-hmm. before you join. But actually, spend some like time thinking about it externally before you join it. Um, if you don't like mm-hmm. how an organization looks on the outside, you're probably not going to enjoy it on the inside. Yeah, um, that's true. And and if you do, um, and if you're still interested in it after you don't like it from the outside. Um, then you've made that choice and you've you've at least like put in that consideration you know think mm-hmm. about think about like gender and 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 race and all these other things and how how this organization will enforce or reinforce these these relationships yeah and and think about your own growth like how do you want to grow um you know are you seeing examples and you, you may not find that example you're going to grow as an individual either way but like you know, does this organization really have your values? Is this like what you want to sharpen in yourself? Um, You know, and then go towards that. And, you know, once again, like your path is your own. Um, It's not like you're going to end up like anyone else, but there is an aspect of your change that you are in control of. Um, And it comes down to the things you decide to join, um, the people that you want to be around and such. And, you know, it's it's okay to make decisions like that. So, anyways, we we're we're definitely running a little long. Um, let's talk about you know what future plans are. Thanksgiving is around the corner. Um, mm-hmm. So, what are your plans? And yeah, how how are you going about that? Um, I have no idea. I want to go back <laughs> home. I'm not sure how safe it is to do that. Um, I've been. It's it's pretty dramatically difficult to get tested outside of MIT yeah um and they just won't let us onto campus to test ourselves but that's okay um so barring that i guess i i would like to go home um i'm working on a 
some personal projects finally um but it it's mostly just like i'm trying to get through this semester this is my second to last one Mm -hmm. i have like one aerospace class to take after this i'm just i'm just very tired (laughs) yeah trying to finish the end of the semester and then position myself for future things yeah so it's the same thing with me um there's just their interviews coming up for full-time jobs or fellowships that are coming up um, that I'm just trying to get through. Uh, I would rather not go home um, at least like for the semester and for the spring um, just because, you know, online learning was hard enough on campus away from home. And I mm. just, I anticipated it'd be even worse at home. So trying to figure out how to get around that um, is a challenge, but like I'm, I'm optimistic that, like you know, in the spring it will be a little better than now, um, and that the rest of the semester will just be a little smoother with more breaks, because um, we haven't had a lot of breaks this whole semester, like, um, which is hard. Um, yeah, but I'm excited for you, Gabe. Um, I'm excited to hear more about how the semester goes. Um, yeah. How home is for you, and you know what else happens at MIT. Yeah. yeah thank you you too mm-hmm. all right well thank you guys for listening to this episode of mit is we'll be back next month with another episode um so you know if you i don't actually know what i was gonna say <laughs> uh yeah. have a nice day have uh... a... <laughs> all right well thank you for listening enjoy your day <laughs>